Welcome to the Digital Workplace Podcast. These are conversations with CEOs of digital companies, thought leaders, and solution providers about how you can become a level five digital workplace. For the show notes and transcript of this episode, go to thedigitalworkplace.com. Well, welcome back to the show, everyone. Today we have a special guest. We have a group call going on. We have Mark Graben and Greg Jacobson. Hi, guys. How are you, both of you? Doing well. Thanks, Tim. Great to be here. Yeah, so Mark's an old friend of the show. He's been on before. We He has a, a big lean proponent. If you know lean, you know Mark. He's been out there doing a lot of things. So Mark, introduce everyone to Greg and kind of how you guys are connected. Sure. So you know, my career in a nutshell was that um, an engineer with an MBA who thought he was going to do continuous improvement and leadership roles in manufacturing companies for my whole career. In 2005, I had sort of a chance opportunity to pivot into healthcare, um, applying lean and continuous improvement ideas uh, in hospitals and healthcare organizations. And then in 2011, there was another chance introduction. So it was actually a kind of a mutual connection of ours reached out to me and said, hey, hey, there's this guy. He's a doctor who's really into continuous improvement. He's got a software company. He's Greg Jacobson. You should meet up with him. And I did. And um, a couple of months later, we started working together. And, and nine years later, um, you know, it's, it's been exciting to see how um, you know, Greg, as a, a co-founder and CEO, has really grown Kinexus. So I'm thrilled to still be a part of that effort. Yeah. Greg, why don't you introduce yourself too? Yeah. Thank you so much for the introduction, Mark. So my name is Greg Jacobson. I'm, a, I'm an ER doctor, finished my residency in 04, got really interested in continuous improvement, was introduced to Mizaki Mai's book, Kaizen, if anyone wants a good introduction to the topic. I think it's a great place to start. And it was the first time someone had conceptualize that improvement could be a science, it could have a discipline, and really could be applied to any system. And so one thing led to another. I realized pretty quickly there was no way to do improvement work in a methodologic manner without there being a digital platform. It, it just never crossed my mind to use pen and paper and bulletin boards. And so it started out with email and realized that email and email folders was... <laughs> <laughs> was a um, a complete cluster, I'll just say, and uh, and then I thought, oh well, software can't be that difficult to to develop, and so um, that that began the the journey of developing Kinexus and doing a prototype in an emergency department for about three four years, and then 2011 we um, had formed a company and raised money, and as Mark said, we had our first customer, and so. It's all been history since we initially were all in healthcare, and as we've iterated over the years, we had a, I would say, a minor pivot, and now we are helping companies in pretty much every industry you can think of. So give us an example about how a company, you can start with a healthcare company, but how do they actually use Kinexus to do continuous improvement? Sure, sure. So we have people that come to us, either maybe 10 or 15% of them are saying, we would like to do continuous improvement work, and we don't know how to start. And we realize that that you know we want to get maybe a thousand or, or five thousand people in doing this type of work, and so they immediately realize that there's a need for for technology to help support that. And then we have maybe eighty five or ninety percent of people that come to us and and show us their their word documents and their Excel spreadsheets and their emails and and their bulletin boards, and it, it's just an organizational nightmare. And really, the system is just so hard to 
keep up with that they're not able to do things like do improvement work. And so uh, initially, if you would have asked the question, I would have just said, oh, it's, it's all bottom up. It's, you, know, you, you go to the front line, you, I'll, I'll use an ER as an example. You go to the doctors, you go to the nurses, you go to the transport folks, you go to the janitorial people, you go to the registration people and you say, you know, what's frustrating you about your workplace? What can we do to make it easier? And um, you implement low cost, low risk change. And so in a, in a world without a uh, electronic system to do that, you would write that on pen and paper. But in a world with Connexus, you pull out your phone, you put in your kind of opportunity for improvement, if you will. Um, we can kind of call it whatever you want, your idea. Let's just use non-lean terms. You have, you have an idea on how to you know, take 10 seconds or, or 50 seconds off of a process or just make something simpler or just make it really you know, much nicer for a, a, a staff member or a patient. And you put it in the system and then it gets routed to your manager and then a little project can get built up around that. Sometimes uh, you can kind of configure it however you want. And then other organizations are, are coming to us to do larger scale Kaizen events or value stream maps or you know, more of the traditional larger top-down lean efforts. And then need KPI visualization. And so um, we have organizations um, doing and putting all their KPIs in Kinexus and then linking it to their improvement work. And then and then finally, you, you know, we have a lot of organizations that are doing strategy deployment work, our Ocean Conring. And so they're they're putting all of the information related to that also in Kinexus. That's maybe a two-minute overview of, of how people are using Kinexus. Well, it's great. And I think you've done a good job of, of demonstrating the big gulf that exists between what most of us think of, oh, I got to get this better. So here are a bunch of documents I wrote up. Here's some... Maybe I got to the level of making a spreadsheet. We sent some emails around. But then we look across that chasm and see, oh, my goodness, there's all this really complicated software that I need to install to get things going. So, uh, Mark, I'll throw this question to you. If somebody's standing on that side of that canyon and says, I don't know, like, what's the first thing? How do I, I mean, uh, Greg used the word system. Like, how, how does a leader build that foundational system that can actually take advantage of, of something like continuous improvement? Yeah, I mean, in a lot of cases, you know, it, it starts with the first step, you know, building a culture of continuous improvement in an organization and really having that become the default. Um, it takes time. You know, it's not like flipping a light switch and, you know, uh, a leader, you know, kind of giving one magical speech and saying, OK, poof, we are now um, a, a, a continuous improvement culture. Um, so I've seen organizations be really successful by starting small. You know, if we want to transform transform the entire organization, let's start with one site, let's start with one department, let's start with one team. And kind of, you know, practice the behaviors and and from leaders and and the methodologies and and, and improve it out and refine it and you know continuously improve your own approach to continuous improvement. And then branch out from there. So like if that initial um, pilot project with continuous improvement has gone well, that that creates pull in the rest of the organization where where others are hearing great things of how continuous improvement has benefited employees and customers and leaders. Um, and, and, and then you, you, you can help spread that through the organization. I think that approach of, you know, starting small, starting modest, and then building on early successes is more successful than, you know, sort of a, a big bang company wide launch. So I'm hearing from you that really it's implementing that culture and that mindset first before the technology comes in. Well, I think I think it can go hand in hand. I mean, Greg probably has some examples of 
people using Kinexus to really help get that started, even if they were starting in part of the organization. I think the, the behaviors and the technology can can go hand in hand. Yeah, well, let's bring Greg in for this. Like, talk about that, you know, as technology advances, then the culture advances, and they kind of push each other in that. What's been your experience in that? Yeah, so probably the first place to start to think about this is to understand what do we mean about when we use the term culture? So I love Seth Godin's definition of culture, which is people like us do things like this. And so there's this recognition that you don't, you can't go buy culture. You, you can't just all sit around and say, this is culture. Or, you know, this is the definition of our culture, but culture really is a manifestation of all the collective behaviors that a organization is doing. So to me, there's really kind of three prongs to developing a culture of continuous improvement, which when we say that, we mean a, a, a organization that allows every person, and not only even that allows, but almost expects every person to help improve the organization every day. And so what, one point and, and one prong is, is leadership behaviors. Another prong is improvement methodology. And then the, the final prong is a technology. And um, the leadership behaviors, we can kind of talk about that. That's uh, could probably occupy multiple podcasts. <laughs> um, improving methodology, if, if we're talking about trying to get the vast majority of people engaged in this, it has to be simple and it has to be um, very accessible. And then um, technology, you, you might kind of, a lot of people kind of say, well, wait, hold, hold on, ah, this technology thing, I don't really see why, why we need that. And um, I'd like for people to think for a second that you know paper didn't exist 500 years ago in the way it exists today. So so even paper and pen is a technology. So anything that you're going to do that's not an oral history is technology. And so I would ask you if you're going to train for a marathon, um, should you just go get any pair of shoes out of the out of the closet, or would it probably be best that you get the right shoes out of the closet um, and get some running shoes? Um, so. So does that mean you need to you know get custom fitted and built running shoes that cost twenty five you know thousand dollars or something because they're going to be unique for you? No, probably just a regular reasonable pair of running shoes will will do the trick. Um, so I, I I think I think Matt, uh, Mark's absolutely right that um, that this isn't a uh, a situation where um, you. The guidance would be you would need some kind of technology to do it. So I do think that they go hand in hand. But but just purchasing the technology or implementing the technology uh, is going to fail unless there is a methodology and unless there are behaviors around it as well. So, well, let's bring everything into our core topic of the digital workplace. You know, a lot of companies where we're now you know over six months nearly into this pandemic. Uh, a lot of companies had to make that first jump from what we call level one to level two work digital workplace where, you know, the office is no longer the center. They're trying to figure out how to use these digital tools. How do you feel like when it comes to a topic like continuous improvement, if a company was already had continuous improvement as part of its culture and something that they cared about, and now everyone's distributed, they're working in remote environments, how can they kind of bridge that gap? Mark, why don't you take this one for us? So, you know, the first, first things that come to mind, you know, these days are, um, you know, healthcare organizations that, um, that I've worked with. And, you know, these, these organizations have been thrown into completely 
new ways of working where a lot of the healthcare delivery is still by nature physical work um, delivered in person in an emergency room or a clinic or what have you. A lot of the process improvement people have been told, and this is always kind of a somewhat insulting phrase, uh, you're non-essential personnel. <laughs> well, and the organization doesn't really literally mean that when they have a culture of continuous improvement. But the, my point is, you know, the, the, the internal process improvement coaches and facilitators have been thrust into this new mode of where they have to work from home. And they are now trying to support and work with and, and do projects and develop new um, workflows with people who are, you know, in the physical workplace, but they're remote. So, you know, people are using um, video conferencing technologies, you know, in the lean methodology, we talk a lot about, you know, getting out of your office or the conference room and going out into the real workplace. People are using uh, FaceTime video calls to, you know, um, do that in ways, you know, as long as they, uh, they, they can do so without jeopardizing patient uh, privacy or confidentiality. So, you know, people are having to adapt to new ways of work. And, um, you know, that includes, you know, I think, you know, Kinexus customers um, that are continuing to use, you know, the same methodology, the same technology, the same leadership behaviors, but now they're layering on top of that, this, this, this additional kind of uh, virtualization or distance um, to what they're doing. When that foundation has been strong, you know, I think people have been able to um, build upon that. And, you know, and I, I've talked to people who said, you know, because of their work on building this culture of continuous improvement over the last two years, they would say, hey, we're not at the destination yet, but we've made great strides in the culture that their organizations have been more adaptive for one, you know, to, to the, the new demands and fears and risks of COVID-19, but secondly, being more adaptable to um, increase virtualization. Greg, what's been your experience? As companies have made a big shift to digital workplaces, what are some of the unique opportunities they've seen, both some of your clients and even in your own company? From our perspective, the, the shift from going to in-person to completely virtual is made on uh, almost in a, in a 10-minute conversation with the other co-founder, um, it was not a difficult decision to make, and the transition actually wasn't difficult. But I will tell you some of the mistakes that we made as we were doing this. But I'll also mention one of the reasons why it wasn't difficult is because Chinexus, at its core, started as a virtual company. Uh, initially, when when Matt Blue uh, was my co-founder and I started Chinexus, it was a uh, it was a side hustle. It was you know we worked it on nights and weekends and and uh, almost. For, for several years, we worked on it nights and weekends, and we were in different uh, states, um, and for a period of time, we were in different countries. I was an ER doc, and for about two and a half years, I was uh, traveling and doing um, travel work, and uh, we've always had offices in both Dallas and Austin, and so there's been a virtual component that's always existed, and while I actually love paper for lots of things, Chinexus we probably have one ream of paper in 10 years that is kept, maybe even less than that. So we're essentially a paperless company already. Um, but I, I, I hate being I'm black and white about things. So I, I, there, there's a lot of, I like about paper. You know, I still, I still see patients and, and write on paper while I'm engaging with someone. I think, you know, writing on a computer is um, much more uh, non-engaging with the patient. So, 
So it was an easy transition, but um, from that perspective, also our product is digital. So so it was what uh, was easier from that side of things. But some of the things that that I think were lost um, was the um, really the empathy that's created by all of the small little conversations that that are kind of randomly happening. Meetings with more than about three or four people uh, are much more difficult from a collaborative standpoint in a virtual video conference um, platform. And so um, that's something to be to be mindful of that when we when we're having larger meetings um, or, or work sessions with people, and then the other thing that I think uh, until last week I just made a mistake on was uh, I, I kept my normal cadence of one-on-ones where you have a, a culture, a kind access of, of doing one-on-ones with people where we just you know, take half an hour and just check in with each other. And you know, sometimes you might not talk about business or, or kind access for, for 30 minutes or sometimes you might talk about it the whole time. But, but making sure you're making an effort to... to and chat with people in a, in a relaxed manner. I think that's super important. That um, um, is something that to kind of keep in mind as you're transitioning. So I don't know if that's exactly what you had in mind for an answer, but those were some of the things I I was thinking about as you know, saying making the statement. Oh, we had a really easy time to do it. Doesn't mean we didn't make mistakes, and doesn't mean we didn't have to change things up. Um, but uh, overall, it's been extremely enlightening that that uh, can certainly not say that we're less productive and in many cases we're more productive um going into this uh into this framework yeah yeah definitely mark what would you add to that in terms of how you've seen other customers and clients really kind of say wow there's opportunities here we didn't even realize that we had in front of us that's a good question. I mean, you know, thinking of, you know, the frameworks of these levels of virtual work, I think people are still maybe just now getting things back to being as good as they had been before. And, you know, this next phase, I think, as people realize um, this is not a temporary normal, this is a new normal, um, is is going to lead to, um, you know, more creativity around being um, more effective. So I'll use an example and Greg, forgive me, I'm not trying to pick on you, but thinking about like our, our Kinexus um, biannual team meetings, um, you know, with, with you know, people in, in different locations, as Greg mentioned, it was really important to get together twice a year to be in Austin, to be all together in the same room, um, not just for the work in the room, but for the social time and, you know, really spend most of those couple of waking days together. So now with the pandemic, we did that biannual meeting in July as a virtual meeting. And, you know, that was still very much, um, it wasn't full days, but it was like half days because I think we realized we have our limits of how much time we can spend on a web meeting. But it was still very much that same format of we got together virtually. It was hard to do as much social stuff, but we were able to conduct business. So the challenge, I'm just going to throw it out there, um, Greg, I was meaning to talk to you about this, so I got to apologize for bringing up that podcast. But what, may as well do it in front of lots of people. <laughs> Thinking ahead to Greg's fine on transparency. I know he's he's not trying to kick me through the uh, computer. Um, you know, thinking of our, our next meeting in January, how do we do this in a more asynchronous way? You know, can people record updates about their part of the company 
and, and put those up as private YouTube videos. And we tell everyone, hey, by next Tuesday, you need to carve out time of your con- at your own convenience to watch all of the sort of present at you updates and then maybe have a shorter time where we're all together and we can do, you know, virtual team building and discussions and, you know, things that um, are better when they're or can only be done synchronously. Yeah, I love that. I, what's interesting, you're reminding me, Mark, we almost always do a debrief after the the annual and the mid-annual meeting. And, and I think we just forgot to do that because we weren't all together and it, it wasn't on a calendar. So I think that's that's a great idea. I, I, I think we could utilize um, smaller groups of people when you have you know, mm-hmm. 20, 25 people on a single meeting. And even though these video conferences are pretty exceptional, there, there is some latency there. And so people feel like they're talking over people, even if it's just a, you know, 0.25 seconds of latency, it's, it's, it can't completely replicate human speech. And so I think, you know, increasing the number of breakout sessions we do, getting it down to three mm-hmm. or four people, increasing, I mean, really the, what you're talking about with regard to the, the presentation is, um, I don't want to say the presentation is the boring part. But the presentation, like you said, is the part that you can consume whenever you want to consume it. The, the real magic in that kind of environment is going to happen when you're discussing the data that was presented. So, yeah, I, I love that. Um, and you can pick on me anytime you want, Mark. <laughs> and, and I'm hearing the same thing from a lot of other people. A few things. One is that like sometimes the best conversations you have that really shape the business plan and the strategy happen after the meeting's over. You're walking out and you're, you're walking out. Maybe you're getting a, you're catching a meal before your flight out or you're, you're walking to the, the parking lot or you're, you're with somebody else. And that's when like those really deep conversations and bonding happen. But we're set up right now that, you know, after the Zoom call is done, you just hang up and you're done and you don't get that, that connection. And I think, and this is what we, we call like that level four digital workplaces when time becomes extremely important. Because you recognize you can't spend eight hours on a on a video call. Like it's just not gonna be good for you. So so time becomes extremely important. You have to use that time well. So you figure out, yeah, well let let's just let everybody watch the videos first and then use the time that we have to do the really important stuff, which is, you know, whether it's some kind of socialization or some intense discussion about things. And really reserve the time that you have for those important things. I like I like where you guys are going with that. And I think it'd be important to make sure that you tell people this isn't a polished presentation. I mean, if you, if you mess, I don't want you to spend time editing. Like who cares about any of that? Just go through the presentation. That's not the important part. The important part is the, just get the information across. It'll help facilitate future um, conversation. Um, I don't know if we're going to get into the levels, but I find, I find all these levels super fascinating. So I don't know if that's a future question Neil. <laughs> yeah yeah no but we'll, we can get into it more later we'll do a, we'll do a follow-up session because it, it really is like you start to realize where everyone is in this and i think that was something that, that hit me as i was putting things out together everyone thought okay yeah we went to remote work therefore we're all in the future of work it's like no we're not we're we're just at home like that's just like one little step that's there so to recognize that there are companies out there that have been doing this for a long time and have kind of paved that way and, and shown what the real value is of remote work, of, of distributed teams. 
and how they're overcoming that. And they haven't figured out all the problems, but there's a lot of things they can get to. Before I leave you guys, I want you to ask or just answer one more question. You guys are both experts in behavior changes because that's that's the essence of, of what continuous improvement is. If you're talking to CEOs out there who are thinking, yeah, I, I want to get my team to do some adaptation to adjust to this digital lifestyle, what's one thing you can leave them with in terms of making these kind of small behavioral changes as they look to make those improvements? Well, I mean, I think continuous improvement and having that culture and growing that culture requires some level of trust. And I don't know how you measure or gauge trust in an organization. There's probably a spectrum or a bell curve. Um, There's some minimal level of trust where people realize if the company does well, I also do well. I think that has to be there. People need um, to, to feel safe in speaking up and pointing out problems, that they're not going to be blamed or punished for pointing out opportunities for improvement, you know, a la you're making us look bad. Um, and then there's got to be that trust that as we improve in the organization that people are not going to lose their jobs um, as, as a result. So I think that's one of the really important things to put in place. I want to give a shout out to, he's another uh, ER doc and a, a CEO um, like Greg, but Dr. Eric Dixon is CEO of UMass Memorial Health System. So they've been on this journey for maybe seven years of working to create a culture of continuous improvement. Eric leads by example. He's the cheerleader. He's the chief culture change person as CEO. Um, and even during the pandemic here, I, I recently had the chance to interview him about this. They were seeing a 40% reduction in revenue almost immediately because of the pandemic. And unlike a lot of healthcare systems, they did not furlough anybody and they did not lay anybody off. Is it because they had money to burn? No, they realized that that was the best decision for the long term of the organization. And so Eric um, got his board's approval. That was a choice that they made to invest in their people in terms of training and continuous improvement and redeploying them in other areas. And I'll tell you the loyalty that I would predict that action to engender is going to lead to even more continuous improvement going forward. That's great. That trust has to be there. Yeah. And from you, Greg, what do you feel like is the essence of if you're going to make that behavioral change, what do they need to focus on? So I'm going to, answer in, in a couple of different ways. One, Mark stole the, the one word I wanted to use, which is trust. So I'm going to insert another word in its place, uh, not in its place, in addition to, which is uh, the the act of, of being really intentional about listening. I think one of the most important things that leaders can do is, is listen, but not listen in a passive way, uh, really listen in an active way. And so when someone tells you something to, to repeat it back to them. So, so what I hear you say, Mark, is that if leaders have trust in, in the organization, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so I think that active listening creates a, a huge amount of connection um, with people. And so that is a, a behavior or an attribute that organization, uh, that leaders really need to do well. I want to put a plug in for two books that I think are really important, um, and neither of them are continuous improvement or um, lean books. Um, one is Daniel Pink's Drive. I think if you don't have a fundamental understanding of what motivates people 
today, then you're going to be lost. So that is a book that um, if you haven't read, you should immediately read. And then um, James's Clear Atomic Habits is the second one, because really what we're talking about is um, developing habits. Now we're talking about organizational habits, but organizational habits are manifestations of individual habits. And so the, the situation that a leader needs to provide is one, the initial, um, you know, the, the initial spark, the lighting the fire, but then stoking the fire and, and the follow-up. So the follow-up isn't holding people accountable. You could certainly try to do that, but I, I like when Mark talks about that, uh, holding people accountable. It seems like you're, you're making people in trouble almost for not doing that. So let's just use the term follow-up. So you, you can't, we're going to not only develop, um, you know, behaviors that allow people in, to engage in improvement every day, but then I'm going to follow up as I'm as I'm going and touching base and doing my one-on-ones with all my, you know, VPs or division leaders or however the organization is 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 um, laid out. Um, but you're following up. Hey, Mark, how 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 is the idea management system? How is your continuous improvement system? How is Kinexus? Hopefully, it's always Kinexus. But how how are those things going? And and do that in a collaborative way. And um, I think those are probably some of the biggest things that, that a leader not not only can do, but is going to have to do in order to to really um, to move the needle and continuous improvement. No, those are awesome points. I love the listening aspect because, especially right now, like there's no way that one person knows the right thing to do all the time. Like it's just impossible. The way the world is, there is no way one person can do that. So you have to be listening to people because there's so much new information you've never experienced before and they're all experiencing it differently. So that's very important. And I love the two books you mentioned. Uh, When we talk about what leadership looks like in that level three, four, five, it's all about understanding humans. Um, You got to know what what drives a human and understanding those things at a deep level. You can't get away with just assuming that you know these things. So that's really important. And if you guys have any connections to James Clear, please let me know so I can get him on the show because I'm a big fan of his work. Always tweeting his his stuff out. So cool. Uh, Thanks a lot for being on the show, guys. Kinexus is the product we've been talking about, but what other uh, websites, other things that we can be checking you guys out with? Well, I... Primarily, if you am going to be found on Kinexus, K-I-N-E-X-U-S, um, we have been really honored to be working with Mark for almost a decade now. So Mark has his uh, pokers and a lot of fires. Mark, do you want to add to that? Yeah, so uh, I, I can be found online. I'm obnoxiously easy to find online. I can be found um, uh, markgraben.com, G-R-A-B-A-N.com, leanblog.org. Um, is uh, my blog and I have podcasts there. So those are the main places people can find me. Excellent. Well, thanks guys for taking your time with us. I really appreciate this conversation. It's good to see how continuous improvement overlaps with the digital workplace and how people can do that. So thanks a lot for everything you do. Thank you, Neil. Thank you very much. This has been the Digital Workplace Podcast. If you liked it, please take a minute to leave a review wherever you can. Go to thedigitalworkplace.com and sign up for our twice-a-month newsletter. It keeps you up to date on the best ways to build a level 5 digital workplace. Music for the show is provided by City of Sound. I'm your host, Neil Miller. Keep moving forward.